0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Positive Talk. This is David Startouch, founder of Survivor to Hero, where we help you rock your hero story. And today, we are going to be continuing on with What Doesn't Kill Us, the new psychology of post-traumatic growth by Dr. Stefan Joseph, Ph.D. Dr. Joseph is one of the, found, uh, the leaders, one of the uh, main leaders in research in this field, and the book, What Doesn't Kill Us, The New Psychology of Post-Traumatic Growth, is one of the most easily uh, to understand and layman's books that I've found. I am actually going to be reading from this and interjecting some of it from my own personal experience and expertise uh, to help guide you through this process. One of the reasons why I'm doing the reading is when you have PTSD, sometimes the brain short circuits and it's difficult to actually read. But through listening, and even if we need to listen over and over, it tends to sink in through our emotional brain. So eventually the words begin to make sense. Uh, so I'll start with my credentials before we continue. I am a PhD candidate in psychology with a concentration in philosophy and cognitive neuroscience. I'm also a licensed professional counselor in the state of Colorado, where I work primarily in the weekends I do crisis work for the ER, and I am also a certified professional coach. This is, to begin with, a big important caveat. This is not therapy. Uh, This is a self-help model, uh, which would fall under coaching. And I find, as a therapist and a coach, this is a really good material that you can do concurrently with therapy or with a coach. And uh, the Thrive model is what we're continuing today. So we'll be continuing on of the Thrive model of Signpost Four from the uh, later part of this book. So let's get started. Now, um, I also will add that Signpost Four and Five, uh, and actually six, we'll probably get through today. Uh, they're really not that very long, not that long, and we'll just see where we go. Signpost Four: Identifying Change. It is common for positive changes to arise in the aftermath of adversity, even if only in small ways. Imagine that a trauma is a thick, prickly hedge. It seems impenetrable and blocks out all the light. Yet, if you look closely, you will see beautiful wildflowers that have been able to take root in its shelter. Personal transformation is like this. It takes root in adversity, but is easily overlooked and trampled upon people need to nurture growth in themselves. It is important that you begin to actively look for opportunities for positive change. This can be accomplished through a series of reflective exercises done regularly. Keep a diary of what goes well. Set aside 10 minutes at the end of each day to think back. Even small things that seem a bit inconsequential are important. I've noticed today, for example, that I've heard many children laughing and I felt good about it. I don't think that I would have noticed that before in the same way. I would have taken it for granted. And that was actually in quotes, the woman in the shop smiled at me when I bought my newspaper today and I smiled back. I don't think I ever really would have looked at her before. Another example, in quotes, at the meeting today, even when it got heated, I didn't get angry the way I used to. I've noticed that I'm calmer now. And another quote, Little things didn't seem to bother me so much today. It's like I could see the big picture. I went to visit my brother in the hospital. I felt really sad, but it's brought us closer together. I found it difficult today to get going, but I did. And even though I was nervous, I managed to make it to the meeting. And I think I added something useful to the discussion. My partner told me she loved me today, and it's good to know that I'm lovable. Just getting to the shops today felt like a real achievement. I'm proud that I did that. So there's some examples of some quotes that someone might have written in their journal, and you may write your own quotes, just some various thoughts at the end. Small things, even the inconsequential. Inco- All right, we're going to move on to the next section. You might consider keeping a diary of those moments when you feel at your best. Identify the conditions that enabled you such moments to that enabled such moments to happen, and then copying resources that were most helpful to you. By taking note of your own growth, you'll find that it will deepen. If you're feeling depressed or anxious, it's important to seek out positive experience and nurture a positive view of yourself. At such times, positive thoughts and memories can be fleeting, easily dismissed, or forgotten. So, my advice is to keep a daily record and practice nurturing yourself. At first, it might be hard to come up with some positive thoughts, but write them down daily and let your list build up over several weeks. As Marie told me, When I started keeping a diary at first, I thought, this is no good. If I had anything positive to say, I wouldn't be asking for your help in the first place. But what amazed me was that after a week, I had pages in my diary. Shifting to the next page, bear with me. Full of, I had pages in my diary full of things, and just reading back over it each night reminded me that I was okay, and that I was on the road to recovery. You can track down, track your own growth by completing... The Psychological Well-Being Post-Traumatic Changes Questionnaire. You can see Appendix 2 of this book for that. The PWB-PTCQ, which was designed to assess change in six areas of your life. Self-acceptance, autonomy, purpose in life, relationships, sense of mastery, and personal growth. Add up your scores to the 18 items. The lowest score you can score is a zero the highest you can score is 90. scores over 54 indicate the presence of post-traumatic growth on each of these subscales the lowest you can score is three the highest is 15. scores between 10 and 12 indicate some positive change scores between 13 to 15 indicate a lot of positive change in what areas of your life have you experienced greatest positive change now i'm going to caveat i know that was a lot of information there, this helps you kind of break down the areas of your life. So when you buy this book, um, Appendix 2 will have that questionnaire. So you can take it, you can kind of go through it, and uh, or just go through it the way he described, and use this section of the book, which is page 200 of the, uh, let's see, I think I've got the first edition. Um, and again, it's in Signpost 4. We're almost finished with Signpost 4. And uh, it will help you just kind of see where there's some growth in your life. Now, if you're just interested in... Take getting a general score of post-traumatic growth. There, there is the post-traumatic growth inventory. And I'm also using the stress-related stress related growth scale in my own uh, research, both of those, post PTGI and the SRG. All right, so I'm going to continue on the next section. There may be areas of your life in which you score lower than 10. If so, that is understandable. Different areas will develop at different speeds. There is no one correct way to score this questionnaire. Its purpose is to give you a sense of where you are right now so that you can reflect about yourself in terms of these six areas and begin to be aware of how you're changing. Record your answers to the quizzes questionnaire once every two weeks. All right, and congratulations, everyone. You just finished signpost four, and that's really all about identifying change. And I would like to just caveat a couple things while we've got some time. if you, are, if you want to identify change, look at some areas in your life that you would like to improve. Uh, I would say when I have people go through my program, uh, similar to this, it, uh, we have people look at three small things you'd like to have change in your life or three small problems and then three big problems. And then identify the baby steps. And each day I recommend people to identify three of each because these problems, so to speak, are actually challenges that can be overcome with time. And they may change with time, which is what's really interesting. But most importantly, you really do want to focus on what's going right. So I do recommend the positive journal. And uh, while taking a stab at those small little goals, even if you need to take, even at some of those little goals, maybe baby steps of the bigger goal. Okay, so we're going to continue on now with signpost five. We're about halfway through our our episode today. So uh, let's keep going. Signpost five valuing change. Much like seedlings taking root that need water and sunlight to thrive, you need to nourish the changes in yourself that you have identified. What are the lessons that life has taught you? How much do you live out those lessons in your everyday life? Could you do more? Those who can honestly say that they couldn't live more fully are few and far between. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, Know that we don't live life as wisely, responsibly, compassionately, and maturely as we could. Take a moment to think about what makes your life meaningful, what your values are, and what your goals are. Some of the some of these may have arisen or risen because of the past experience of trauma and adversity, and ones that you previously identified. Others may. Hark back many years to your upbringing. Are there some goals or values or meanings that you would not be willing to let go of? Are there some that may have outlived their usefulness? Personal transformation is difficult because it means that we have to change. It's not about feeling better, but about creating new meaning, finding new values, changing how you think about yourself and your goals in life. Imagine suddenly waking up in the, on a desert island, knowing that you will have to live, your rest of, live the rest of your life there. Take a few minutes to reflect on the people you would miss the most. Then, reflect on the places and activities you would miss. On a sheet of paper, list all of these people, places, and activities. And I would suggest pausing uh, right now if you wish to do that exercise or listen to this again and then pause. Now, think back about how much time you spend with the people in your life who are on that list. Visiting those places and doing those activities. Make a note of how much time you spend on each of these things every week. Calculate how much time you wish you could spend on them. Looking at this list you will likely see a big difference to how, you were, how much time you are spending and how much time you'd like to spend on each of these items that you've listed. Now choose one person, one place, and one activity and make a commitment to yourself to pay greater attention to these parts of your life. Write a contract to yourself promising to do this. Those who have experienced losses may feel it is inappropriate to focus on their own well-being. It may seem disrespectful in some way. This is understandable, particularly following bereavement. But, by appreciating what you have right now, it does not mean that you appreciate whoever you have lost any less. Think about that. If you love someone, and you were to die, would you not want that person to live life fully? As noted by John Harvey, who studied bereavement growth is, who studied bereavement, growth is encouraged when we reflect on what we have gained from loved ones and how we find a way to use what we've learned from them to give to others. Often, the seeds of growth are in a small, everyday thing. One man, for example, told me that he now appreciates time with his children in a new way that he did not before. And here comes the the anecdotal story. Jenny is six years old now. On Saturday, she asked me to help her make a birthday card for her nan. I was busy and reluctantly agreed. But then I realized this is one of those moments that I will look back on. Having made the decision to value the opportunity within minutes, I was engrossed as she instructed me how to cut out the pieces of paper and lick the sticky stars and dab the blobs of paint. An hour later, we had created the most magnificent car that was overflowing with love. It didn't look much, or it didn't look like much compared to the uh, shopbot card, store bought card, we'll just say that. But boy, it was special. On Sunday, Jenny proudly presented it to her nan. I felt lucky to have been a part of this very special moment. I reflect on how easy it would have been for me to just have said, I'm too busy at that moment, to help, make her, uh, help her make that card. And I would have missed all of that as a result. People can find special moments like this one every day. They are all around us, but unless we know to value them, they can slip by all too easily. Appreciative people behave differently from those who are unappreciative. Their coping strategies tend to be more adaptive, and they are more likely to seek social support and positive reinterpretation strategies. In turn, their adaptive coping strategies help such people deal with stress. So here's a gratitude exercise. Take five minutes at the end of each day over the next month to track your gratitude. Write down three things that make you feel grateful. Think about the day and the things that have happened. From the small things, perhaps a colleague offered to make you a cup of tea at work or to the big things, such as an offer from a friend to help you redecorate your room reflect on how much appreciation you feel make gratitude a daily habit and now imagining loss imagining loss that is not imagining loss that has not actually happened can be equally useful this is not a pleasant thing to do it requires effort as people are inclined to tabulate the things that they haven't lost But by imagining loss, you can learn to value what you have. So, while it can be an uncomfortable exercise, it is one of the most powerful things that you can do to recognize what it is that you deeply value. In A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens tells us the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, a miserly man whose life has been devoted to acquiring accruing wealth. Scrooge is compelled by the ghost of Christmas yet to come to stare into the faces of lost loved ones, to contemplate future losses, and to acknowledge his own mortality. As a lonely corpse, he watches strangers paw through his belongings and listens to people talking about him without love in their voice. He is taken by the ghost to visit his own grave and running his fingers over the letters of his name engraved on the tombstone, he is transformed. Awakening on Christmas morning, Scrooge is now appreciative of his relationship with his nephew. He experiences compassion for others and decides to give his employees a huge raise in salary. He buys a turkey for his employee's family and, for the first time, embraces life with pleasure. An exercise inspired by Scrooge's story is to imagine what your own headstone would say. This, too, will help you focus on the most valu- or on what you most value in yourself. Put down this book for a few minutes and think about what your headstone would say. And if you were to die tomorrow, what words were it would appear on it? Are these the words that you would like to see on your headstone? If not, write down the words that you would like to read on it. Take a few minutes to really think about this. You might even want to take the exercise one step further and write your own obituary as you would like it to read. And that actually brings us to the end of Signpost 5. Now, I got—I guess I was a little overzealous. So uh, we're at the end of the episode, 19 minutes, and Signpost 6 is the next section. It will be a little bit shorter, but we're also going to have some extra exercises. At the end, this is David Startouch. I want to just thank everyone for taking the time to go through this and bearing with me, as I um, sometimes struggle through my own reading, and uh, I do recommend buying this book. Uh, if you like, you can uh, get it on Amazon and uh, or your favorite bookstore. The book is What Doesn't Kill Us? The New Psychology of Post-Traumatic Growth by Dr. Stefan Joseph, Ph.D. Now, post-traumatic growth is also strongly founded in positive psychology. As you may have noticed, it's focusing on the positive things, the rewards and appreciations. That is one of the best keys to healing. And I'm going to sign up here, and I want to thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode of Positive Talk. Again, this is David Startouch. Namaste.